Military veterans not only bring dedication and enthusiasm to the world of entrepreneurship, they can also bring an amazing level of creativity and perseverance. Today on the Financial Operating Base, we'll be discussing the incredible journey of Aaron Hale, U.S. Army and Navy veteran and founder of EOD, Extraordinary Delights. Welcome to the Financial Operating Base, a podcast and community to help you, the veteran entrepreneur, to navigate the terrain and accomplish your mission of business success. And joining us today, we have Aaron Hale, uh, U.S. Navy veteran and U.S. Army veteran and entrepreneur, uh, founder of EOD Extraordinary Delights. Uh, Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I think our listeners are going to be very inspired by your story. So let's just start with uh, your journey, kind of your background as a, as a veteran, um, your military experience, and then into um, your, your civilian life and, uh, starting the business. So just tell us your story. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a wild, uh, circuitous route I took. Uh, you know, I, I was, my family is very creative, uh, very artistic, uh, line in our family, but the most of my, uh, my mother, her aunt, my brother, all, uh, visual artists, painters and sketch artists, uh, my artistic uh, Jean brought me to the kitchen and I was cooking since I could reach over the counter. And, you know, I started at the very bottom in my cooking career uh, or what have you. Uh, I started at Chuck E. Cheese at 15, uh, but I moved my way up to Chili's and Fuddruckers and other franchise eateries. But uh, uh, when I got to college, uh, I, 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 I joined because I thought that was the right thing to do, and that's what the next step was. But I had no direction, no uh, no goals, no real ambition, and I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't know you know where I was going to go. So I instead went looking for Animal House, and I found it. And uh, after about three semesters and gaining a freshman fifty. Uh, I knew that I needed to change course and do something else. So uh, in six months, I'd, I'd left college, uh, lost 65 pounds, and uh, I joined the Navy as a cook. I knew it was, it was a passion. It was something I, I, uh, I could do well. And the, since I'd wasted so much of my tuition money already, I, uh, to get back to college and with a new course, I was going to become a, uh, a chef. I wanted to go to a culinary school. I decided I would take the GI Bill, join the Navy uh, along the way and become a cook in the Navy. And for eight years, I learned that I loved being a sailor. I loved being out at sea. Only you know, the thing is in the military, uh, uh, the, in the Navy, the uh, Navy cook, they, they used to look at it as the civilian equivalent of a hotel restaurant management position. So most of my time spent in the Navy wasn't in a galley. 
it was spent at the barracks. I was actually, my first two years were spent in um, Naples, Italy, Naval Station, uh, um, Naval Support Activity in uh, Naples, Italy, as uh, the, the barracks maintenance manager running trouble call tickets from the front desk to the Italian local national public works guys. <laughs> but of course, you know, when life fans you lemons, you make a Tom Collins. Uh, but uh, uh, so I would go around with these Italians and uh, every day I would uh, just point out the things like, como se dice, como se dice, how do you say this? How do you say that? And eventually I learned how to speak Italian. And my, uh, of course, I was learning plumbing and electrical terminology <laughs> and some foul language too. But uh, uh, eventually I was conversational. I got to go out into the local economy and really immerse myself in Italian cuisine, culture, history. And I got to, uh, in my off time, travel Europe. My next duty station, I was assigned to the commander of the uh, Sixth Fleet in Gaeta, Italy, only a 45-minute PCS away. And now I was cooking for a three-star admiral, his staff, and uh, every time the ship went out to sea, we'd pull into a foreign port, run up the flag, and throw a reception. So now I was doing the real thing. I was cooking. By then, though, both the wars were in full swing. This was about 2005, 2006. And I knew that I felt a different calling. I was good at cooking, but I'd then gained something more, the duty, the discipline, the sense of responsibility, and a true love of this new patriotism I was feeling. And I wanted to do something a little bit more for the, a little more direct towards the, the war effort. And I volunteered to become an individual augmentee and I was sent to a forward operating base in Farah, Afghanistan, and I ran a army chow hall. So I went from, basically went from cooking for 25, 35 of the admiral staff to cooking for 500 to 600 ISAF uh, soldiers and airmen, marines and um, sailors. So I was cooking for you know, the Spanish, the Portuguese, and uh, coincidentally for a few platoons of uh, Italian special forces. So I went from Italy, a short uh, stop in, in Rhode Island to another barracks, but then right back out to uh, Afghanistan where I was speaking Italian again. But uh, it was then when I met a few EOD technicians, explosive ordnance disposal, the military's bomb squad. And of course, these guys were doing uh, preventive maintenance checks on their, uh, their equipment, their bomb suits, the robots, and, and, and whatnot. And it was like a cool guy garage sale. I went out there and I checked all this gear out and I was talking to these guys. So I'm like, what? I want to know more. They told me about the tight-knit community, the brotherhood, the technical aspect of the job, the fact that 
You get to save lives out on the battlefield by being a first responder. And, uh, and of course, you get to blow things up, which is terrific. Who doesn't like doing that? So I was, of course, hooked. The only problem was in the Navy at that time, uh, they weren't taking cooks into EOD. It wasn't a uh, MOS or a, a rate of its own. It was a special qualification, and you had to come from a certain source job. Cooks were not source candidates. Uh, everything is waverable. Nobody wants to tell you, but uh, uh, I came back to the stateside after my deployment uh, and, and tried to become EOD, but they still said no. So my contract was running out that, uh, that year. I let it run out and I walked over to the army recruiter, handed him my paperwork and said, I want to go EOD. And he, uh, Obviously, it would take anyone. He took me. And uh, I uh, became an EOD technician. And soon after going through the, the rigorous year-long training uh, to become uh, an expert in all things explosive, from bombs, bullets, landmines, to nuclear weapons, uh, and all the, all the homemade explosives and improvised explosive devices, devices found out on the battlefield today, uh, I was right back out. I went to, uh, sent to Iraq in 2009 and then back to Afghanistan in 2011. That was when, uh, coming close to the end of my tour in Afghanistan, second time in Afghanistan, this time as an EOD team leader, uh, one of those IEDs uh, had my name on it. So um, I was injured and I was sent back to Walter Reed and I had to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And that's, that's an incredible uh, path and, and journey so far. Um, I, I really want to focus on um, those challenges that you were, that you were kind of confronted with and really had to um, fight to fight through and, and fight to overcome to get to where you are now. Um, but let me comment on how interesting that, that path is. And I love the early on um, presence of your passion for cooking, because that's what we'll talk about here soon. Um, but you have that passion for cooking. Um, it's ingrained in what you did in your first kind of your first jobs, as well as your first assignments in the military and the Navy. Um, but I think it's really cool how you knew you wanted to do EOD. And, and even if it meant um, changing branches and, and exiting one branch to go right into the other to get there. Um, I think that's that's very astute in terms of your vision on what you wanted to do and also a pretty cool shift and balance between um, cooking and then explosives. So I wanted to commend you because that's that's a pretty cool path. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a wild path, a jump ship. Um, but uh, uh, I, I, I tell people you know, I, I, once I got my first confirmed kill with an egg roll, I decided to start saving lives in EOD. That's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah it, it, the way I look at it, though, is even though it was uh, maybe a little uh, ADD of me to jump around from uh, career to career, it was me. We don't know who we are, you know, when we leave high school or leave college. 
we're always learning, we're always growing, we're always, our values change, our direction changes, and I was finding my passions as I was going. And one thing I knew is that uh, if I was going to uh, pursue a passion, I was going to do it the best I could. So while I was a cook in the Navy, I tried to be the best uh, culinary uh, artist I could, and it got me to uh, the commander of the Six Fleets uh, galley. And when I decided I was going to be an EOD technician, I was going to save as many lives and get as many explosives off the battlefield as I possibly could uh, when I could. And we, I trained uh, extremely hard to be as good as I could. Incredible. Um, and one, one characteristic that jumps out to me about that path um, thus far in your journey is adaptability, um, flexibility, being agile, being able to um, thrive in different circumstances and kind of shift and pivot. Um, you show great adaptability up to this point and we'll continue to do so as we go through the rest of your journey. Um, so pick up, pick up there um, with the injury and just kind of how that happened, what went through your mind initially, um, and then into uh, your recovery and journey into entrepreneurship. Sure. Well, you know, I, uh, I do a lot of keynote speeches uh, while, when I'm not cooking fudge. And one of my key messages is it's something I call the, the tools we have in our kit. And the way I, I describe it is being an uh, explosive ordnance disposal team leader, each team, and in the Army it's usually a three-person team, is giving an entire shipping container full of tools from you know, the bomb suits to, uh, to decontamination kits and what have you, uh, power tools and all sorts of things. And then you get to uh, the battlefield like Iraq and you're given a uh, armored vehicle, armored truck, and you got to be able to fit whatever you can into the truck and the side boxes under the chairs and in the sh on the shelves, but you can't take it all. So you have to leave some tools behind and you still have to do the same job. And then when you get to Afghanistan, uh, like I did, most of those are, uh, most of the places we went were goat trails, hard packed dirt that couldn't support uh, our enormous trucks. So what do you do now? Well, you're on foot and you've got a rucksack. What do you put in there? You got to pare down. Frankly, we would carry a man portable robot, which, I would argue is not that man portable, uh, but we would basically do the the whole job, everything uh, uh, we would expect to uh, find out there in Afghanistan, with a rope, uh, sorry, a rope carabiner and some bare explosives, and that was the tools we were carrying. We didn't worry about what we didn't have. We had to make do with what we did. So now, uh, you know, being blind, I look at it the same way. Now, eight months into my uh, deployment to Afghanistan, uh, I, was, uh, I was in the truck uh, in a convoy on the, actually just coming back from my two weeks of R&R uh, &R back home, where I'd gotten to see my, my son turn one, um, got to have an early Thanksgiving with the family. And then I was back in the, uh, I was back in, uh, you know, the sandbox. I had my luggage in the back of the truck and we were heading back towards our command outpost. 
when the convoy commander said, EOD, we've got something up ahead. Now, this wasn't our AO, but we were uh, the closest team to them. We weren't, we weren't going to uh, have them wait for the QRF. So we sent the robot out. We found a pressure plate IED with a jug of homemade explosives. And the, the robot was able to take the uh, plate, separate the plate from the device, but that uh, explosives were still there and it couldn't get it out of the hard packed dirt. So I jumped out and uh, started approaching uh, about 20 or 30 meters from the original device, a secondary device that hadn't been detected, detonated. And thank goodness it just hit me, the blast just hit me in the head. Uh, but it knocked me to my knees and elbows. Um, and the first thing I did, I stayed, I was, I was still conscious. Uh, first thing I did was wiggle the toes and do a system, systems checks, fingers, toes, elbows, knees, all that. And found that I was still more or less intact, but the lights had gone out. So I got, you know, I got, it was upright on my knees and I reached up to adjust my helmet, which I thought had been pushed over my face from the blast, only to find that my helmet was gone. So, of course, my first thought was, oh, no, this is, this is bad. The Army's going to want that back. But uh, then I realized that something was, was also very wrong with my eyes. And uh, uh, I tried to make my way back to the, the, the truck where my team was, uh, was waiting. Um, but they... Uh, they I had no idea where the truck was now. I couldn't see. So eventually, after some random walking around, my team made it to me and dragged me back to safety. And I was on a medevac chopper in 14 minutes or so on my way back to Kandahar, where I just left. And within 48 hours, as I was in Walter Reed, and uh, I had to learn... From then on, what my new normal was going to be, how I was going to live my life as a blind person. And, you know, of course, those terrible thoughts come through your mind. You know, why me? What if I'd done it differently? Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the Navy and the Army both taught me the put your head down and go type mentality, you know, that, that resilience. Um, to just okay this is my situation assess what uh, you still have at hand and move forward I was still active duty I was still sergeant I was still uh, a father and I still needed to act those roles I still had to perform even though I couldn't see any longer I needed to I still needed to perform um, I started finding mentors started finding people who had gone before me. There are still, to this day, uh, blind soldiers in active duty roles. And I said, I want to do that. I want to stay active duty. And they, uh, uh, they said, well, you can't, can't be EOD any longer. What do you want to do? Well, I can still teach. And they sent me down to where I am today in the Panhandle where, uh, at Eglin Air Force Base where the joint uh, EOD schoolhouses, and I, I taught for a while. From there, I not only learned how to be blind, but I think I, uh, I, I started to excel. I, uh, maybe it was out of fear of um, 
being stuck on the couch, being one of those um, poor uh, fellows that uh, are feel stuck, feeling sorry for themselves, popping pills and and just in a rut. And I did not want to get trapped, so I began running, climbing mountains, whitewater kayaking, doing whatever I could to stay away from that couch and and those pills. And uh, I started speaking. And then about and this was this went on for uh, nearly four years until I was knocked to the mat again with meningitis. That blast that hit me in the head left a crack, and I had a slow leak of cerebral spinal fluid coming right out of my nose, and a path out. A path out is a, a, a pathway in, and bacterial meningitis put me right back in the hospital. And this time, it uh, took what was left of my hearing and even stole my vestibular balance, the, the inner ear balance. And now a few more tools were gone. Um, uh, so there was a solution. Uh, once, I'd, uh, you know, the, the, once the infection cleared, they could uh, implant uh, these cochlear implant devices. And I may be able to get my hearing restored, but it would take nearly half a year before I'd be able to hear another human voice again. And it would not be the same thing ever again. So for six months, I was in total silence, total darkness. The whole world ended at the tips of my fingers. I couldn't go for a run on my treadmill because I always felt like somebody was going to steal it out from under me. It was a very hard, very dark place. And thank goodness for uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, Michaela, just a, an angel. She nursed me back to health to communicate with me. She was actually writing every single letter of every single word that needed to be said to me in the palm of my hand, which is tedious and frustrating in its own. But it was the only way we could we could communicate uh, in, with the world. So. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was an extremely difficult time, but neither of us were going to let it defeat, defeat me, defeat her. Uh, we were in it, and we were, going, we were going to come out of this okay. So what I decided to do was fall back on my, my passion of cooking again. I knew that I could still do it, despite not having my eyesight, despite not being able to hear it. I... Uh, it was it was near the holidays, and I began to uh, prepare. I started cooking desserts weeks in advance, and I was making all this fudge. I was throwing spices and nuts, and even some different types of spirits in there. We were experimenting with all sorts of flavors, and it turned out that I was enjoying myself. Michaela said she she saw something on my face that she hadn't seen in six months. And that was, that was a smile. I'd, uh, I'd found something to pull me out of the darkness. And she, in turn, found that I was cooking far too much for one family to eat in one sitting. So she started sneaking it out the front door. I, I say sneaking like you've got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. But uh, she was giving it away to friends, neighbors, uh, uh, and, and just people around the community, and people started coming back and asking if they could buy more from uh, from us. 
it, the capitalist in me said, well, of course you can. And that's how the uh, uh, EOD, or this time Extraordinary Delights, uh, was born right out the front door of our, our house. Eventually, we were, we were cooking for companies like, like, like Boeing for their uh, uh, annual galas. And, and we were cooking most, most of it right out of the, the, our family kitchen. We even bought a shrink wrapping machine that we put in the garage. Eventually, the, uh, the business grew out of our house and we, we found a, uh, a commercial food uh, manufacturer, you know, co-packer that will make our uh, desserts for us and they can do it on a much larger scale. And it's just been growing ever since. Aaron, you're, I've heard your story several times and hearing it again today, it just blows me away. There were a million times you could have quit. There were a million times you could have said, just getting by is good enough. But that, that just isn't even remotely a thought that ever went through your mind. You've consistently pushed ahead in everything. And what I find the most relatable is you became an entrepreneur eventually because of something that you loved. And they always talk about entrepreneurs and having passion for what you love. And that's what can make you a successful entrepreneur. Um, how, how do you really feel? Um, you know, there's day-to-day -day business, but how do you really feel that passion in you for cooking, you know, expresses itself through the business that you and Michaela have created? Well, I can't understate the role uh, Michaela has, my, my wife has put uh, into my recovery, into the, the birth and the growth of this business. She's been the source of strength, the source of support through the whole thing. She's, an, an, she's amazing. Uh, person i'm uh, extremely lucky to have found her and the truth is while i'm the creative one she's running a business uh i, I, I swear she she knows uh, she knows the business she knows the the sales and the, the marketing aspect i'm just the goofball that's uh creating you know <laughs> creating desserts in the kitchen and and you did the other thing other than the fact that I think it's amazing that you have a great partner for your business and in life and you have a great business. Um, you're lucky enough to live in a great part of the country. Um, we're in Atlanta, so we're very familiar with the panhandle there in 30A, uh, as it's known, the beachside towns in Florida there. Um, what's that like as far as a place to have a business and the community? And, and how are you and other veterans received in the community down there? Well, the Panhandle, yes, the, the 30A Emerald Coast area is beautiful, is a terrific community, but the Panhandle in, in Florida in general is, is so military friendly. Uh, in, in our neighborhood, our community in particular, we're, we're actually surrounded by military bases, veterans, active duty service members, and it's it's an it's a terrific community. It's a the interesting blend of military and beach community and tourist community. Uh, so we kind of get the best of a few different worlds, and the support we've gotten while we uh, were we're trying to to get uh, EOD fudge off the ground. 
has been has been fantastic. We're very thankful for uh, our neighbors, our friends, and and in, in our extended family on on social media. Another really fantastic characteristic that you exhibit is your attitude. You have a positive attitude. Joe touched on this earlier, but uh, you have a positive attitude. Um, you've overcome a ton. Um, you even poke fun at yourself, which is real refreshing. So talk about some of the challenges that you've come across in your business. Um, specifically, you know, talking to, to an entrepreneur out there that, you know, maybe thinking about starting business or facing some challenging uh, situations themselves with their business or personally, um, and how you use the perseverance that you uh, exhibited in your personal life and your health and your, in your injury um, to overcome that as well as business challenges. Well, of course, in starting a business, the hardest thing was having never started a business before, didn't know what we needed, didn't know what we didn't know, didn't know the pitfalls or especially uh, when it came to um, retail sales of, of food and the, the, the regulation on that, we were learning as we were going. And in fact, we, we soon found out that there's a, a limit to how much food you can sell out of a private you know out of a residence until you needed to to illegally have a commercial food kitchen uh, that was with every every aspect from you know legally you know legal uh, finances to marketing uh, when we we realized that we needed to move our operations out of the house and and begin you know, find a commercial kitchen, it was where were we going to go that we found incubator kitchens, we found we were going to, uh, we, we'd even uh, considered borrowing or renting uh, a local bakery's kitchen when they weren't in use, maybe in the middle of the night. However, we then realized that no matter, we, we were growing, the demand was growing so fast that no matter where we've located the operation, I couldn't cook all that much on my own and Michaela couldn't run all of the operations on her own. So we decided that we'd have to look for a co-packer, a, a much larger entity that could uh, handle our production. Uh, and we, we did, we found, we found a, a, place, a great place in Savannah and, and the truth is, all of this, uh, all of the learning came from finding mentors. And, and I, I can't stress how important it is to find somebody. If you're trying to do something, you, chances are you're you're not re, you know you're not inventing the wheel. It's already been made. Uh, you might be able to make improvements on it, but first you got to you know get get established. And people have done that, so you got to find experts that have already done it. And, and this was, you know, in, while I was learning how to be blind and I wanted to get outside, I found, a, a, I found out that there, there was a blind man that climbed Everest. He's still the only one that's ever done it. And you know what I did? I went and climbed a mountain with him. Uh, I found that a blind man had kayaked the entire Grand Canyon. You know what I did? I went kayaking with that guy. And we're all, you know, friends now. But the same thing in business. I found out 
who had started businesses. And we, Michaela and I, we went and found out, how can we make this work? And, and, you know, of course, you've always got to add value wherever you can to, it's, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help as much. And people's not, people aren't as willing to help you on, in, in, unless you're, uh, you're first ready to, you know, offer something to them. And we, whatever were possible, we, we add value to other companies, other people. And that's, that's part of our goal is also to give away uh, some of our success, teach others along the way and uh, prop up those that are, uh, especially our wounded veterans. Um, there's, there's a, there's a whole nother life beyond the military and there's life beyond injury. And we hope to, to help out wherever we can. That's amazing. Um, Aaron, you definitely, as we mentioned, and you mentioned, you're not the type of guy that's going to sit on the couch. So tell us a little bit about where you see the business going and, and maybe other things you want to achieve in life. Um, you certainly seem like the person that's going to go out and get it. So what else do you, do you want to go out and get? Well, I, I believe that even though we own the business, you know, tending to the business day to day is, is a job. And I, I truly believe in your, uh, it goes back to Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where we're trying to build this business so that we can step away whenever uh, we need to and the business will still run it itself. That means we need to find passionate people to fill in. You know, basically, we need to fire ourselves. So we need to find people who are better than us at doing what we're passionate about and be passionate about themselves. And that's the process in which we're going is to grow the business, but grow it in a way that we know that it'll be in good hands. And beyond that, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm looking at other ways to invest other businesses, real estate, you know, equity, that kind of thing. And we put our profits uh, to good work beyond, you know, of course, uh, a portion of, all of our proceeds are dedicated to giving back to our favorite veteran service organizations. But beyond that, you know, we want to put, you know, some goes of course back into the business to continue its growth. And some goes into investing in, in other avenues. Well, your story, your path in, in your mission um, is definitely inspiring. So is there, a favorite quote or, or leadership quote or concept that helps guide or inspire you? You know, I've read a great book by uh, Eric Greitens, uh, Resilience, Hard-Won Wisdom on Living a Better Life. And he relied strongly on and studied strongly the Stoics and it led me to read Marcus Aurelius. And one of my favorite passages from uh, Meditations was, the impediment to action advances action. What's in the way becomes the way. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, uh, I mean, you're certainly an inspiration and I'm sure some of our uh, listeners are gonna wanna reach out to you if that's okay. Um, how, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more about um, you know, your business and, and what you're doing? 
Absolutely. They can uh, uh, find out more about us and, of course, uh, uh, purchase some, some delicious confections by going to eodfudge.com. And they can follow us and uh, communicate with us through social media at uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at EOD Confections. Absolutely. You and I first met over social media, so I know that you're an extremely um, generous and giving person of your time, and you're a great person to know. So uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I know Jeff enjoyed speaking with you as well. Definitely. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on. This was terrific. We hope you liked this episode on overcoming adversity with Aaron Hale. And we will leave you with this quote from Audrey Hepburn. Nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. Thanks for checking us out at the Financial Operating Base Podcast. We love to hear from you. We love feedback and to start a dialogue and engage in community. So send us your ideas and reach out to us at financialoperatingbase at gmail.com and on social media, Instagram, Financial Operating Base.